Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Caught in a state of perpetual motion, the war on vaping powers on this week with yet another alarming television news report from Canada's public broadcaster, the CBC. Featured on the flagship newscast, The National, the CBC report cites new data provided by University of Waterloo professor Dr. David Hammond that purportedly shows teen vaping in Canada has returned to pre-pandemic levels. True to form, the CBC leaves no room for doubt regarding its position on vaping as the report is tagged on screen and throughout the entire piece with the graphic Teen Vaping Calls to Action. And in the story lead, the CBC states Health Canada is not acting quick enough to protect a new generation of youth from becoming addicted to nicotine. These are shocking developments no matter which way you look at it, and for some, it must feel a bit like deja vu. Joining us today to talk through the CBC report and to discuss Dr. Hammond's new data is national vaping activist Maria Papaya Wanu Duick from Rights for Vapors. Maria, thanks for coming back on the show. So what I was saying is, if you guys didn't hear it, David Hammond's back. It's our own nightmare before regulations. Um, it's He's our Freddy Krueger. And I know, like, here's the thing, is the CBC reported on unpublished, non-peer-reviewed facts, which aren't really facts until they're published, and but first they have to be peer-reviewed. CBC should have mentioned that. And that's where it bothers me that CBC continues to share a singular side of the story. And it is so, um, it's quite poetic that all of a sudden we have over 25,000 people have submitted to Health Canada. Rumors are that it could be as high as 98% of Canadians who submitted to Health Canada oppose the flavor ban. That's like the rumors about how opposed people are to this flavor ban. Then all of a sudden we have David Hammond popping up outside of out of sabbatical because last I heard, like when I reached out to him, he was on sabbatical and he couldn't do between two vapes when I asked him. And then he's on there repeating the same stuff he did in 2019. The I, I don't have my study. I can't share my study. Um, no one else can see this study. It hasn't been peer reviewed. And what we found out is once that study got out there, once it got peer reviewed, the data and the statistics were removed. And the way they presented this on the CBC, ethically, they should have stated that this is non-peer reviewed study. And I was talking with Dr. John and we're going to have our kind of, we kind of did our reaction video together. <laughs> His reaction was much calmer than mine um, to this. And it, it's just not right. Like he, they didn't ask anyone else what they thought about this. Like there's lots of things. We're out of a pandemic. Kids have high mental health issues right now. They're all of a sudden back with their friends. We know that kids are getting access to vaping products through peer sources, through social sources. Which, by the way, through most of the research over the last three to four years has shown that that has been one of the biggest ways in which youth have been getting uh, e-cigarettes. It's not through retail, it's through social sources. So I know I don't like David Hammond. Like, I mean, I think the man is, he's probably a really super nice person. I get frustrated by David Hammond because I don't find, I find that David Hammond doesn't look at the human being involved. And when he said, put your money where your mouth is, 
Like they should put their money where their mouth is and apply for a pharma, like, you know, being this set as a medical cessation program. No, the government does not tell me what helps me quit smoking. This is the issue because if, if the pharma led um, solutions worked all these years, do you think we'd even have a vaping product? We wouldn't need one. So you know what? No, I, I like, you know what, dude? Like, and I'm going to call him dude. I, I respect the fact that you're doing this research. I do not respect the fact that you choose to minimize me, push me across, like, you know, make me feel like I'm just nothing. Well, I mean, you act like I'm nothing. I know I'm something. And I know every single person who has quit smoking through vaping is something. And you need to recognize that because there are 5 million Canadians who are smoking. And this study is being concerned about 150,000 teens between the ages of 15 and 19, where one full year of that, it's completely legal to vape are having access to vaping products. And now we talk about, sorry, I'm going to, I could just keep on talking. So well, we have lots of show to, uh, to get through here too, as well. I want to let our viewers know that RegWatch reached out to Dr. David Hammond at the University of Waterloo today. And we did get back quite a bit of response via email. Uh, he was unable to do an interview as well at this time with us. And, but you know, it's, it's pretty smart on his part uh, to definitely answer a few questions because it helps mitigate uh, some of our coverage when we actually have some input back from the players involved. So we're going to share with that with our viewers that I've got the emails, and so I'll read that out. Uh, before we do that, though, I think it's very important for those who haven't seen this piece for us to watch it. And I'd like to say that true to form, the CBC leaves no room for doubt regarding its position on vaping, as the report is tagged on screen and throughout the entire piece with the graphic teen vaping calls to action. And in the lead, the CBC states that Health Canada is not acting quick enough to protect a new generation from becoming addicted to, to nicotine. So it's very clearly is definitely an activist piece by the National Public Broadcaster of Canada. Oh, I don't know if I can watch it again. <laughs> I was just waiting for a little bit of response before I cue this up. Okay, so hold on. Before you cue up, guys... There's going to be, I can reboot a lot of reboot. Is it reboot, rebut? Rebut. Rebut. I can rebut a lot of these facts. Here's the thing is they're cherry pick. You know, someone said cherry picking. When you don't show the full picture, you're simply lying. So take that. Do not get mad. Actually, no, get mad, get angry right to the CBC after you hear this. And then like, we'll go through some of this stuff together. Please All note, right. I a doctor or a researcher you're not a doctor or a researcher i'm not giving medical advice nor financial advice and COVID is real all right so here we go let's take a watch if you thought vaping might have been a teenage fad think again i could count in my hands the number of people who did not vape in my school it's illegal for kids but they are hooked the latest data shows the vaping rate among Canadian and American teens dipped during the pandemic, but it's rebounded. Stunningly, it's now higher on this side of the border, with about 15% of teens reporting they'd vaped in the previous 30 days. Canada still has some of the higher levels of regular use and vaping among kids, so that would be daily vaping or, or uh, vaping almost every day. 
Marketing and fun flavors enticed kids into inhaling chemicals mixed with nicotine, a highly addictive drug that can harm a developing brain. Companies insist these devices were meant to help adults quit smoking, but experts point out none of them have been submitted to Health Canada as stop smoking aids. I think it's time for the vaping companies to put their money where their mouth is. If this is a smoking cessation product, then prove it and get it approved. In 2019, the U.S. FDA launched a plan to clear the market of unauthorized vape products. Recently, the agency announced it'll permit the sale of one device and one flavor, tobacco. Health Canada is not reviewing individual devices and still considering whether to limit flavors to tobacco, mint and menthol. The data shows pretty clearly that young people like menthol and mint. And so uh, what perhaps this FDA ruling suggests to Health Canada is... When you ban flavors, ban all of the flavors except for tobacco. Provinces have a patchwork of rules, but there are wider restrictions on things like nicotine levels, lifestyle ads, and flavor names that appeal to kids. But in reviewing hundreds of Instagram accounts from vaping suppliers, Health Canada found over half failed to follow the rules. And researchers say teens have easy access. We had a young person, a minor, try to purchase e-cigarettes online. 90% of the situations led to a sale. Lucas Aguiar says he started vaping at 15. Two years later, he's smoking. I started tobacco and I did tobacco for the first time a couple months ago. While these devices could help adult smokers, it's clear they're already harming a new generation. Christine Birak, CBC News, Toronto. Already harming a new generation. Okay, let's, okay, first of all, I was talking with Dr. John, the studies on nicotine have all been conducted on two-week-old baby rats or mice. So they've never conducted studies on nicotine research on a 15-year-old primate. So he doesn't, anyways, I don't want to speak for him. So I'm not going to speak for him. You guys can watch what I did with him. Um, But there's Rob Schwartz on there. There's they're talking about the Instagram. What we don't see is someone asking someone like Vita or the um, Canadian Vaping Association. I'm not expecting them to come over to me, but asking the one of those two organizations, what is your position on this? What do you say about this? Because maybe they would have explained that. you know, the Instagram accounts where they said we failed, some of those were from tags that we didn't, people didn't even know, someone didn't even know they had an Instagram account. They forgot about it because they've never used it. Someone got got in trouble for a random picture of their dog. And so, and people were getting issues with, um, I think it was tags that people mm. tagged them. So here's the thing is that, are there bad apples? Absolutely. Are we doing our best to try and fo- follow the most ridiculous set of regulations ever put forth? I was trying to explain to someone is that they're like, well, why don't you sell this for Christmas? I'm like, I'm not allowed to. The government tells me what I can or cannot sell inside of my shop. The only thing the government doesn't tell me what to do is when to go to the bathroom. But I'm sure they're going to ask me at some point to make a list of when my staff uses the restrooms. Rob Schwartz, he talked about how the, the sale happened. He did made no mention of the fact that maybe the Canada Post never delivered it or the fact that they chose to lie to a company and say that. Like, I mean, 
cherry picking the stats and cherry picking this like you know what like i'm done it's all about putting together it's all about sharing the whole story damn it cbc well, it's never been a winning strategy to try to meet them head on on each one of the issues because they own the space. So on the nicotine side and harming development brains, you could say yes. But of course, you know, there wasn't, you know, people with mental mental retarded brains for the last 60, 70, 80 years in the millions who all smoked. So that same danger doesn't exist on the on the patches either. So or the gum. So why is it that just these particular products have the nicotine issue? Um, because they don't. Here's the problem. And I've said this before, and I've said this again, is the fact is, is that it's something new. We have an old brigade of tobacco control who are fearful because everything they've learned doesn't work. The, their, their thought process is the only way a solution can happen is if it happens in a laboratory, if it happens in a research unit. This is how tobacco control is. And then you have a product that was created by smokers for smokers that was promoted and expanded by smokers to other smokers. And it started to work. And the trust factor happened based on lived experience. The trust factor happened with empathy. Now you're looking at, I'm going to, fine, I'm going to go create a market cessation, uh, cessation product. What's going to happen? Try getting... <laughs> For example, Dave had to get, um, sorry, I'm going to use this as an example. We had to get some some medication for Dave. It's a, it's a high drug medication. I don't even know how to say the word. There was zero consultation done to explain that he makes sure he does it this way, this way, and he's all protected. Zero consultation. And you're going to tell me a pharmacist on top of everything that they're doing is going to find time to have a conversation with someone where you spend spend on the average maybe two hours a month with a single customer to make sure they're doing this. None of what they're saying makes sense in my world, and what I'm saying makes sense in no their and doesn't make sense to them in their world. However, they refuse to come and converse and have that conversation. However, I have plans to change that. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the things that aren't discussed uh, in this piece. And I think it's, it's been missing uh, in the whole last year and a half, this whole process, is that these products are currently legal. It, it was a process that was duly conducted by the federal government, by Health Canada, Health Canada scientists. So, I mean, I've said this at nauseum. They, they made these products legal. So for Dr. Hammond and others in that piece who are saying, well, put up or shut up, it's time to get these things approved as smoking cessation products. Otherwise, they're invalid the way they're being used now. That's not correct. These these products are legal. They're legal for the use that they're being used for right now. They were just made legal. So it's disingenuous to, again, move the goalposts. I mean, boy, hypocrisy and goalpost moving are, are typical and very standard of, of the opponent here in this particular issue, as well as others. But let's just let's just kind of retool this and go, no, 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 these products are legal for the use in which they are intended to, for. They don't do not need to have uh, medical certification and approval as a smoking cessation device. Otherwise, Health Canada would have implemented that and would have never put the TVPA into place. I think the problem is, is that they're not used to being on this end. 
They are so used to saying for decades tobacco control, decades, the attitude of we can save the smoker. We are better than the smoker. We, hey smoker, we know more than you do. And what happened? A bunch of smokers found the solution. And when you think about that and you're you're looking at these people and I, I again, I'm going to go on a stereotype and I apologize to anyone that's listening. And I know that a lot of scientists and researchers and doctors are not like this, but you're looking when you take me, you know what? I graduated from college. I did a couple of years in university, but I don't have the 15, 20 years experience. I'm not the golden child of Health Canada and the golden child of my university and being given millions and millions of dollars in grants. But the thing is, is that what they are uncomfortable with is that someone like me found a way to connect with smokers, to connect with people who have who want to quit smoking and found a way to help them get there. And that could be part of, and this is the same for every single vape shop that you walk into in this province, in this country, in in the world, is that you have people who just out of pure wanting to quit smoking, found a solution and took that risk to try and share it with others, regardless of what the legal state may or may not have been there. And now you have people that have been saying, well, if it wasn't for the smoke, you'd have no problem with the nicotine having to change their thought process because you know what? It's probably really sucks for them if they have to sit down and look into themselves and realize that, wow, the solution was right there. We just never asked someone who smoked what they needed. Well, that is true. They don't do a lot of asking. Let's jump over here to um, some of the email correspondence that I had. And just to remind everybody that back in 2018, and we, I just had Dr. Chris Lalonde on two weeks ago, and we were discussing this issue at length. And I've certainly had a, a bunch of criticism for Dr. Hammond because in the fall of 2018, they came out, he released, selectively released uh, data on the 2018 results to Health Canada and CBC got it. There was a piece much like this with the same kind of breathless alarm and which you know launched us onto this process. I sent a note out, out to Dr. Hammond today, <clears throat> just left you a voicemail. Could you please send over the report that you referenced in the CBC News story on October 19th, 2021? Can't seem to find it online. This is the ITC report that shows that Canadian vaping rates, teen vaping rates is 17. 15.7% versus 13.5% in the United States. I'd like to confirm those numbers and get the details. And it's time sensitive for today's story. So this was earlier this afternoon. He did write back pretty quick and he said, in regards to your phone message, there is no new report that we've released. The findings cited by CBC were presented at the SRNT uh, Europe conference in September. So that's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so that's the uh, science, research, nicotine, and tobacco. I thought it was the other, the other way, but yes, that's right. Um, and he also said that you should consider the findings from Statistics Canada 2019 and 2020, the Canadian Tobacco Nicotine Survey, which are publicly available. The surveys indicate no reductions in vaping among 15 to 19-year-olds between 2019 and 2020, consistent with our own findings. And that Okay, fair enough. But yet the CBC report was showing an increase in teen but vaping. He said it. So he said 
was an increase. And he said there was an increase. So then I asked him then back, Adam, and I said, hi, David, thanks for getting back so fast. Could we do an interview today? You know, breathlessly myself trying to get an interview, but it never will never happen. It would be the easiest way for the data to be explained to our viewers. I can assure you that the interview would be fair and welcoming, which it would be. And it would be of huge value to explain some of the issues. I, as an example, um, if there has been no change in the teen vaping stats, as you stated below, above, why is it then that the CBC graphic, citing ITC research, shows a marked increase beginning in July 2020? Boom. That's the increase. If there, is, if there has been an increase in teen vaping in Canada, we'd want to report that. If there are... If there are various ways that the data should be considered, then it would be excellent for you to explain that for our audience. Hope you can do the interview. And of course, he's not available for the interview, but here is a short explanation, is that we conducted and reported on two separate survey waves in 2020, in February and again in August 2020, whereas the Canadian Tobacco Nicotine Study findings are reported as one estimate annually, it's quite possible that the CTNS data would have followed a similar pattern. Decreases in the immediate post-pandemic period, followed by a resumption six or so months later. If we averaged out our findings over this period, it would roughly map onto the CTNS findings of our little findings of little change over our 2020 period. The difference is that we report the data in two-month time periods and capture the fluctuations in the pandemic period before the resumption. Okay. In short, the findings are not discrepant. They just provide different snapshots in terms of the time periods. The data from our U.S. surveys also aligns very closely with the trends over time observed in the NYTS surveys, with the important limitation that the NYTS had to change their data collection methodology in 2021 due to the pandemic, and our methods remain the same. Bottom line. Okay, so here's the bottom line. Hopefully clarification. Bottom line, different evidence sources indicate relatively little decrease in the prevalence of vaping among Canadian youth during and following the pandemic period. You may wish to note that the CTNS study also includes young adults and observed decreases in vaping along with substantial decreases, decrease in smoking behavior between 2019 and 2020. We will continue to monitor future trends as well as the national surveys. In terms of the alarm in the CBC interview, I don't control the tone of the sc or scope of CBC's reporting because I'd asked about the tone of reporting any more than I control the tone of your reporting. In response to media inquiries, I try to provide the most accurate account of our data and my interpretation of the broader evidence. It is up to the journalist and media outlet to determine the scope and tone of their story, which is but fair enough. It's an increase. But he says it. Exactly. I'm st and I'm still left confused here. And, and perhaps this is a, a, an appropriate moment to just, you know, again, point out. Does anyone have his cell number? Well, I hope not. I, my show's not designed to to foment outrage. But so <laughs> but here we go. So but here we go. So because I've reported this and I found a, another source. I didn't realize CTV had reported this. But in March 17th of this year, 2021, I've been showing the Toronto Star piece quite a bit where Dr. Hammond has been quoted in. Um, oh, it's a Canadian press. So it's the same story. So that's why. So but uh, so just in March of this year, um, Dr. Hammond is uh, is is quoted as saying that vaping, the vaping rates have leveled off. 
and that's in March of this year. And so now we're in October of this year, and apparently the rates had jumped in 2020. So we've already had reporting comments from him with regard to the, that time period, and, and he didn't reference a jump, that there had been this big jump. And now all of a sudden there's this big jump starting in July 2020, which would, should have been mentioned in this piece that we've been reporting on. So I, I had to pick and choose my, my questions here because I knew that this was all happening right before the show here. And um, there's only so much that I'm going to get an answer on. So I, I wanted to ask him about, about deja vu in the sense. Thanks, David, for the additional details. It's certainly difficult to stay on top of the various studies and to extrapolate a clear picture for any given time period. I also appreciate you don't control the tone of the coverage. Allow me one more question, as it's a big issue and would help me formulate the tone of my coverage for today's broadcast. As you know, our coverage has been critical of the sharing of your 2018 data with Health Canada in fall of 2018, over seven months before it was made public and available for industry and advocates of THR policy to address. The research was also used in December 2018 by the CBC in both print and television reports that many believe played a key role in raising the alarm over teen vaping. There was also the matter of the teen smoking rates rising, which thankfully turned out not to be the case. Of course, a rise in teen vaping should raise alarm. However, at the time, the data shared with Health Canada backstopped the regulators' move to initiate new regulatory processes which today are likely to culminate with a flavor ban and collapse of adult access and choice for safer nicotine products. My question is, to some, the October 19, 2021 coverage of the current ITC data feels like deja vu, meaning there is new reported findings on teen vaping in Canada that we don't have direct access to and which being, is being used by the nation's public broadcaster to yet again raise alarm at a critical time for THR policy in Canada. The data shows a recent increase in teen vaping and technical details are not available. How would you suggest I assuage our viewers' concerns? Oh my God, does he even care about your viewers' concerns? His answer. We have been, <laughs> crit we have been criticized by some for sharing our findings too soon and by others for not sharing them soon enough. The short answer is that we share our findings as widely as possible as soon as possible. I will never apologize for sharing our findings with government regulators and authorities who have a mandate to protect public health. I believe that public health authorities should always have access to the best possible evidence, particularly in rapidly evolving areas, including issues related to tobacco use, vaping, and the nicotine market. We will continue to share our findings with relevant public health authorities, regardless of whether the findings are perceived by others to be favorable or unfavorable, either for the government, industry, or other stakeholders. I don't speak for Health Canada, nor do I advocate for specific tobacco or vaping policies. However, the idea that media coverage of our findings in 2018 were responsible for regulatory changes misses the point. Our findings simply documented the rise in vaping among young Canadians which has always been documented in every other Canadian survey on the topic. As you well know, the government's own survey, the 2018-2019 CSTADS, indicated that Canadian high school students had a daily vaping rate of 12%, which is the highest recorded prevalence rate of any country in the world, to my knowledge. I would suggest these trends were responsible for regulatory changes, not the media coverage of our study. 
I don't follow your logic of how the October 19th media coverage is deja vu. As I indicated in my previous email, the findings in the CBC story were presented more than a month ago at the SRNT Europe annual conference, which is one of the leading scientific conferences in our area, nor do I understand how media coverage of the findings is consistent with the idea that we are concealing our research findings. We did not issue a, pre we did not issue a press release. Rather, I responded to a media request and shared data that was already publicly shared with the scientific community. Over the past several years, we have shared the findings from our study in more than a dozen scientific publications, dozens of scientific presentations around the world, as well as dozens of media interviews. The timeline for sharing our findings has also been substantially shorter than virtually all other studies of our size. It will always be too quick for some and too slow for others, but, what we're trying, but if we're trying to conceal or limit the release of our findings, as you suggest, we're doing a horrible job of it. And he said, I'll need to take a leave there, which I really appreciate that Dr. Hammond spent the time to answer those questions and provide that for our viewers. Yeah, I'm really glad it made me even more confused because he literally said our study, didn't he, on the CBC interview? Let's well, I don't have the transcript, really. I'm watching the piece. I would, I would need to actually get a transcribe of it to be able to say that or rewatch it again right now. But he pretty much, the, the graphic itself talks about 2021. He does not talk about 2021. This is an assumption. They're assuming, isn't that, I swear, I don't understand. Yeah, the CBC graphic. The, yeah, the CBC graphic was 2020, Maria. So it showed an yes. uptick, an uptick in July 2020. And that's and your, February 2021. Yeah, that's correct. But it, the uptick starts there. That's correct. Into February 2021. And no one went back to school in 2021. They were all closed. Yeah, the issue for me is that it was March 17th, 2021 when Canadian press did that full release where he's quoted in saying that vaping rates among teens in Canada is tapering off, is leveling off. And if that's the case, that, that this, this is an alarm that is not congruent with his media, uh, his media, the reports in the media in March of 21. But this must be a report because it's from his university. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, so this, trying to find Brian Laundry. We're like literally trying to dissect. Um, we're like vaping sleuths. Right. And I think this is, you know, ultimately the issue, if he's sharing uh, this, you know, the data to scientists and in the scientific community, that's one thing. But as soon as it goes out and it reaches the, you know, the national public, like the CBC pieces do, and we don't actually have a report in hand, that people like Dr. John or Clyde Bates or David Sweener and so forth can get in and take a look at the methodology and take a look at the sampling and see what's going on, um, then you know, then we re then it's really not available for inspection. Well, it, 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 he makes it very clear that you know what the air. I think. Can we move on to Rob Schwartz? Because I'm probably going to get sued if I keep talking about Dave, um, David Hammond. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I don't want to see, you know, um, the show go anywhere there, uh, obviously. I think there's just some there's some valid things uh, um, that need clearing up on. Overall, yeah. allow me to just say this one thing, is that, is that, um, I w the, the term isn't, well, the term in news coverage is authority bias. 
And I think it applies to as well in the case of a scientist sharing their data. They've got a media bias, they've got a government and regulator bias, but all of the people that get impacted by the regulations that, that this research will impact, they're not a part of that bias. It's a complete afterthought. What do you mean? We're totally sharing our data with everybody. We're sharing it with the scientists. We're sharing it with the CBC. We're sharing it with Health Canada. What do you mean we're not sharing it? <laughs> well, it's not quite the same thing. I mean, it, it, there's a bias there that the scientist is showing uh, towards who they value for receiving the information. And also who they value over who they're fighting for. Because if they actually, if they actually cared about people who smoke, they would be doing multiple studies, but they don't care about people who smoke. They care about people who don't smoke. And that's who they're choosing to protect over and over and over again. This money, the, these studies, these organizations that are getting funded by Health Canada over and over again, and they're doing things like, you know, I, I'll say this again, smoke-free physicians have chosen to take part of their $1.2 million grant from Health Canada and make fun of rates for vapors on their blog. I don't care if that blog took her five minutes to write or 20 minutes to write. And from that $1.2 million, you know, it took up $60. But they're choosing to make fun, make fun of. That's like the epitome of bullying. They then chose to do some expose on every single person who's fighting for access to try and discredit us. And they did that and they misrepresented it. They're using some of that money and they don't care. They don't care if they lie or get caught lying because they have so been so above because in their mind, they're saving someone from smoking. They're not helping the smoker from the harm. So they are tobacco control. And technically, they just we just have to remove the word tobacco. They are about control. Whereas the other side of it, the David Sweeners, the Clive Bates, the Ian's, I forget what Ian's last name is. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot his name already. But the Dr. Johns of this world, they're about reducing the harm, giving back a quality of life. They're, they, they're filled with empathy. The others are filled with sympathy. And sympathy ruins this world. Empathy drives the world to change and to have better communities, have healthier people. And we see that over and over and over again in society. It's just that as smokers and now vapors, we were the first targets of the lack of empathy this world has for people with addiction um, in the last five years. Like all that energy came to, anyways, I'm just saying is that they have no empathy. They don't give a crap. Do you like how I'm not swearing, by the way? And um, they don't give a crap about us. They care about their egos. They are, do not want to be challenged and they, and they don't even see the bullying that they do. 
I could cry. And why do you always make me cry on your show when I talk about this stuff? Because I give you, know, I, I give you a wide open berth to to rack because, yourself in that. Because it becomes personal. Like, I don't know how to explain this, but when I see people who have fought so hard to help people not smoke, but they're not fighting that hard to help people who smoke for a quality of life, because FYI, smoke-free physicians, you failed me when I was 14. But because you failed me, instead of taking accountability for your failures and trying to say, okay, you know what? We failed this entire population. And according to them, I have half the brain capacity. Imagine what I could accomplish if I never smoked because I've ruined my brain because I started smoking at 15, is 14. Um, Maybe that's why I didn't finish university because I smoked. Um, Anyways, so uh, what I'm trying to say here is that they don't look at their failures and find a way to find, figure out how to succeed. But people like David Sweener and Clive Bates, they have that empathy in them. And that's where the difference is. Dr. Hammond does not have an empathetic bone in his body. Well, I mean, we, I don't know if that's fair to no, say. I mean, when it comes to smokers and when it comes to vaping. He chooses that. And that's fine. That's maybe his defense mechanism. And that's okay. But you you have to look at the actions of people. If you empathize with someone, you would say, okay. You wouldn't write back an email like that, defending yourself. Well, no. I Well, I mean, I, don't, I wasn't asking to defend himself. Those are just straight up regular questions uh, to put to somebody in an interview email. So that's fine. Um, he, no, I mean, anyway. look, I mean, we've all, look, we all share, you know, the, you know, personal frustrations around this. I mean, and I, mine are immense too, because I see this as not just, um, a tobacco and vaping issue. Um, the sad thing here is that I see so many of the tactics that are used and have been used over the years, even when, even before vaping was, was created, just even against smokers and smoking, right? A lot of, a lot of trouble we've seen over the last 18 months I think, you know, born from some of the lessons learned by the people who, you know, fancy control. Now, I, I don't know if I fully agree with you that empathy is the key. I, I do believe that uh, more science, less emotion, uh, and, and um, more science that's done, as you were saying, like there should be science around all of the different positions in order for truth to tease itself out. Um, and that's not happening. That's clearly not happening. They really don't. I like I figured this out. This like when we were on tour, and I know this isn't really about this is about the article, but when we were on tour, um and we were going up to all these places, you know, we were treated like second class citizens. And I can say that confidently. I'm not saying because it had nothing to do with being vaccinated or COVID or anything like that. We followed all the rules that were out there. We wanted, we had COVID plans, we had everything. But when we were pulling that bus in, that clearly said Vape Tour 2021, and we saw people outside, Karina Gold, the MP out in Burlington, she had an entire party happening out there. 
the bus pulled in. By the time we got to their door, the entire party moved out of the tent. And I saw, I saw, I saw someone that I thought was her run in. And when I said, wasn't that, wasn't that the, um, the minister Gould who ran in, I was told, no, that's a staff person who looks like her. When we pulled into Vance Badaway's office, do you know what they did? The, we, we got out of the RV, we heard the door lock, and we heard the car go beep, beep. Because what were we there to do? We were there to have a conversation. There is no history. There is no point of reference that any of these people who worked for a liberal candidate or a conservative candidate, actually, let's be honest, it was all the liberal candidates that locked the door. It was only liberal candidates that locked their doors on us. There was no point of reference that people who were trying to have a conversation about vaping in the province of Ontario were there to be aggressive, to be disrespectful. But for some reason, they made that choice to stereotype us, to make that decision, and it spread right across the province. Because in Quebec, every single candidate was there for us to talk to us, every single candidate's office. So, you know what? What CBC did? Continue to perpetuate that stereotype that the Ontarios and Liberals created about us keeping throwing all that stuff to not have an ounce of empathy for us, to not care and treat us like we don't matter. And the quit our way or die has become so much more prominent and the divide has gone so much prominent and it is heartbreaking. I just watched a woman, I almost went up to her today and say, why are you going down this alleyway to smoke a cigarette? There's nothing shameful about addiction. Anyways. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you need a drink, Maria. I don't drink. Uh, neither do I. So maybe somebody's got to have one for both of us. Yeah. Though there are legal products now that are not alcoholic in nature that, you know, are something that could be enjoyed by, by somebody if they so choose. Yeah, I don't like the taste of those stuff. Just give me a Coca-Cola. That's what I treat myself with, a real Coca-Cola. <laughs> So, well, I'm glad that you did share a little bit because, because of course, we were constrained uh, after the new election act that got passed in 2019 in terms of what we could cover during the election. So we basically were dark on Canadian issues during during that wonderful, what was it, 40 days of joy and love? Oh, and yeah. Yeah, we registered as a third party. Like, we literally registered. And let me tell you, it was the best thing we did because people checked to make sure or reported us. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because people, you know, one of the best things about this industry and the people fighting and everything is that, and it's proven time and time again, we are <sighs> underestimated. And I love it. I love people underestimating my abilities or someone's abilities or the CVA's abilities or Vita's abilities or anything like that, because, you know, we're smart people and we are passionate people. And there is nothing more important in this world to fight for than quality of life. And that's simply what we're doing. And that will beat out anybody looking to get reelected, to get their seat back, to make money or anything like that. That's just the way I see it. 
Well, and I definitely do agree. And, you know, I've still got some hope uh, that things might turn out here in Canada. And as I mentioned again, so uh, we're going to have to wrap up. Our whole plan here was to keep this as a short episode. Um, again, I'll be in London, England next week for the Global State of Tobacco Harm Reduction Conference, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, and on some meetings. So I'll be bringing back a, a pile of uh, content from like there. Him. Yeah, and I'll be for sure. I mean, a lot of people that will be there are people that have been on our show, obviously, in the past, but some new ones. And it uh, certainly gives me an opportunity to grab a bunch of great interviews and I'll certainly be asking them about what they think about going, what's going on in Canada. And now with this development too, as well, whether or not, if they think that there's, you know, a valid concern that we might have in terms of the sharing of, of this data, it just feels, you know, to put a cap on it here on the on the CBC thing here, it just feels that the pieces were, are designed in a propaganda house, right? It's just, they hit everything, get the kid, get the kid says it, you got addicted, got addicted, get the, get the kid to say that he got addicted on vaping and that led to smoking. Oh, convenient. Like, where did this kid come from? Was he served up by one of the organizations, which is very typical on how you get the kid? I mean, I'll guarantee you right now that if there wasn't some form of public health as a conduit to get that kid, it's pretty fortunate for the, for the reporter to just be able to reach out there and find some young person and pluck them out and uh, and have them hit so many of the story points. So, oh my, no, whatever the kid's name was, like kudos to him. Like he was from Central Casting and this entire piece was just too suspicious to be showing up at, like I'm really having that, um, that suspicious TikTok video going through my head. <laughs> like all of a sudden, oh my goodness, out of the blue, teen vaping has risen. No, it's not out of the blue. It is so contrived. And I get it. Like, I get that. But the problem is, is that they're relying on people not getting it. They're relying on, you know, one, they're relying on people going up in arms. Like, I mean, maybe they're trying to create their own, like, Parents Against Vaping group out here in Canada. Like, who knows what, what they have up their sleeve. But the thing is, is that we don't have sleeves. Our sleeves, we're sleeveless. And the only thing we have is our passion for our own lives. We have our, our goal to be able to be smoke-free, to be able to continue our life and to do that. That's, that's, that's all we have. And passion and knowing the truth will outweigh anything. Nothing is more valuable than the quality of life of another human being. Well, There's I nothing this world. I do agree. I do agree. And as long as cigarettes are legal in Canada, you should be allowed to vape. Exactly. Can I pitch the two things that I'm doing? Sure. Okay. I just want to let everybody know that we will be in Ottawa on November 22nd. So please show up. It will be a little bit cold. It is the day of the throne speech and every single protester that's going to protest for anything is going to be out there. So we need to be out there too. So the RV is coming out of commission. Um, Yolanda will be driving it again. And the second thing is um, I will be sending out an announcement very soon. Um, the lawyer for CVA, Doug Elliott, will be doing a webinar 
So what's really great is the webinar will be somewhat interactive. You can send questions to ask, and he will be talking about um, the charter and how um, vaping and access to vaping products, including flavors, is protected on our under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms here in Canada. It's going to be good. I'm so happy. It's one hour, so it's going to be super, super tight. That's why I'm going to ask people to send their questions. You'll be getting an email if you're on the Rights for Vapors email list. And then we have a few other things um, planned. We just have to make all the confirmations. So head over to our site, rightsforvapors.com, register for our email list, and we will get the stuff out there. We're just working really hard to, you know what, educate and empower every single person out there, give you the tools, because your voice matters. And that it does. Well, Maria, thank you so much for coming back on the show. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. And I'm sorry you have to edit this. Yeah, it'll all be fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm ripping apart the studio in minutes, so I don't even know. It might just stay out there like this. Well, look, thanks a lot, Maria. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And don't forget to go to Rice for Vapors. Have a good one.